Oh God, we pray for a holy stillness to fill our hearts, a holy hush to fill our souls. As you tell us, oh God, to be still and know that you are God. And so, Father, I pray that in this holy huddle, in this gathering, that this sweet spirit that's filling this place even now, I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to us. The joy of it all, Lord, is that none of us can change our lives. I can't even change myself. But Lord, you specialize in changing lives. You specialize in breaking strongholds. You specialize in delivering. And so, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to confront us, speak to us, empower us, fill us. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus' name we pray. Oh, what a sweet name. In his name we pray and everybody said, amen. Give God some praise. Give God some praise. Give God some praise. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord and our children um, are dismissed for children's ministry. We praise God for the worship uh, team. Praise God for our brother James and and others who serve. We we honor them. We, We bless God for them. Um, what a joy it was to go to the nativity. You know, this is my first time going and it, what a joyous occasion it was just to witness the gospel in, um, in a play form, in a musical form, and to see so many people, thousands of people flood uh, the Troy campus. And, you know, God's at work at Woodside. Don't you believe that? God's at work. God's at work. And so we rejoice in what God is doing. Um, and don't forget, next Sunday is our Christmas Eve service, not in the evening, uh, it'll just be you and the Lord if you came here, um, but our 10.30 service will serve as our Christmas Eve uh, service, and we're excited to um, have to break some bread together and have some good fellowship um, following the service. If you've been tracking with us, we've been in a series called Emmanuel, God With Us. Um, we looked at the incarnation of glory, the incarnation of the word. Today is the incarnation of humility, the incarnation of humility and let me tell you right now, um, this is a very uh, moving passage of Scripture. Um, it's a very convicting passage of Scripture. Um, but, you know, praise God for his word. And we rejoice in knowing that God has something to say to us. And so we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses really 3 to 9. Um, but we're going to feast off of what God has for us, the incarnation of humility. Now, Father, meet us where we are. Push us to where you need us to be, and Lord, fill in the gaps as we seek to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I have several friends that have played college football, and I've also had friends that have played in the NFL. My football career lasted one season because I didn't want nobody hitting my body. Hello, somebody. I didn't like getting hit. Um, I like watching legalized violence, but... I don't like being the one receiving the violence. But if you like the game of football, football is the ultimate team sport. In fact, uh, there is no other, there's no other sport that really amplifies that. If you disagree with that, let's argue in Jesus' name. Because football is the pinnacle of a team sport. And if you were to build a football team, um, obvious all positions are important. All positions are critical. But if you really want to build a foundational team, you have to have a strong offensive line and a strong defensive line known as the trenches. 
in the little time that I spent playing football, that one season, and friends of mine who played Division One in college and in the NFL, you hear a coach say something to the offensive lineman and to the defensive lineman, and you'll hear them make this phrase a few times, and the phrase is simply this, low man wins. Low man wins. What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, the lower you are, the stronger you are. The lower you are, the more centered you are. If you think you can block that big old defensive lineman with standing straight up, you got another thing coming. But the lower you are, the more centered you are, the stronger you are, and the more successful you will be if you simply operate from the standpoint of low man wins. One of the key characteristics that's missing in our society is humility. Uh, To be honest with you, humility is not something that we're natural with. We all are born selfish. If you think I'm blowing smoke, just watch a one-year-old or a two-year-old. They didn't have to learn to be selfish. They were born selfish. Me, myself, and I, I'm too sexy for my shirt. It's all about me. And honestly, if you really want to get deeper, the root of all sin is pride. The root of all sin is pride. It was pride that kicked the devil out of heaven. What sin ultimately says is, God, my way is better than yours. Did you hear what, did you hear what I just said? The core of all sin is, God, my, my way is better than yours. And you see how that, that has worked out horrible for us in this society. To operate independently of God. You see, this is why the Christian life is a supernatural true religion because none of us has the capabilities of living the Christian life none of us has the capabilities of living the Christian life it's Christ in us for I'm crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh come on somebody I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave gave himself up for me. It's Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a supernatural one because if we're going to win in the kingdom, low man wins, but I can't get low unless I have Jesus. And so here we come to Philippians. Paul is writing to a church, can't be too hard on them because we all got issues, that has issues. There's there's conflicts and there's divisions and Paul opens up in chapter 2 and he talks about this issue of of, of unity. In other words, you you cannot really have humility unless you have unity. Both go go, go hand in hand. That I have to be on the same page, Team Jesus. I know we're different, but we're moving in the same direction. And in order for us to be different, but yet moving in the same direction, we have to have the sense of humility that only comes from Jesus Christ. And so we come to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 9. And Paul would have us learn right there in your notes. Follow Jesus' humble example. Follow Jesus' humble example. You see, God becoming a man, as we're looking at Christmas, isn't just a nice statement. God becoming a man is, a, is, a, is the ultimate picture of humility on so many levels. And Paul tells the church and is telling us 
to follow Jesus's humble example. Well, the question then is this. How then do I pursue humility like Jesus? How then do we pursue humility like Jesus? You ask great questions at 11.16 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Let me give you three answers to that question. Number one, consider your position. Consider your position. Notice in verse three, Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Uh Uh-oh. But in humility, there's our word, count others more significant than yourselves. In Paul's day and even in our day, people worship at the shrine of accomplishments. People worship at the shrine of ability and status. People worship at the shrine of degrees and, and all of all advancement. And again, nothing wrong with degrees, but if degrees is the ultimate pinnacle, then you got a big problem. But see, in Paul's day and in our world today, if, if, if my aim and my desires is even threatened, then I'm, I'm going to have a problem. See, that's what the culture says. But what Paul is telling them in so many words is don't try to one-up one another. Don't try to get over on somebody. Anybody ever try to be used or been used by somebody? And my daddy used to say, and I love this line, he says, watch out for the 75 percenters. Well, they put 75% on the table, but keep 25% for themselves. Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. It takes humility to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It takes humility not to operate in pride. And thus he says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Now again, in Paul's day and even in our day, humility is viewed as weak. Humility is viewed as useless. But we're not here for the sake of the world's pleasure. We're here for the pleasure of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Nobody took Jesus' life. He laid it down. And he took it up. So how do we do this? How, how, do, we, how do we count others more significant than, than yourselves? Verse 4 gives the answer. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is an echo of Romans 15 verse 2. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, let's, let's balance this out here. Paul's not saying don't look out for yourself. That would be irresponsible. Be responsible. Look out for yourself, but not to the expense to somebody else. And what he's highlighting it is that there's great benefit in serving others. There's great benefit for looking out for your brother and sister in the Lord. It's great benefit. In fact, it uplifts and it magnifies the beautiful implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a brother and two sisters. It's four of us. And one of the things my dad used to always give us a sermon before we leave the house. And he would always say something to the effect of, Look out for one another. Watch each other's back. And he always found a way to get to my brother and I and and pull us to the side because he didn't want my mama to hear this. If I hear that somebody messed with your sister and you didn't do nothing, you're going to fight me. Look out 
for one another. Fast forward, being a father, my wife and I have three girls. Pray for a brother. (laughs) We're having the same conversation. Look out for one another. Look out for one another. Check on your little sister. Check on one another. Don't let nobody disrespect you. You stand for one another. Listen to me. Can I, can, can I just be really vulnerable here? Can I be vulnerable? Can I, can I be vulnerable, church? Um, one of the dominating um, motivations in coming here to Woodside was hearing about how much this church looks out for one another. This church cares for one another. Now, we're not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect church, by the time you join it, it just became imperfect. Look out for one another. That, 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 this whole idea of caring for one another, you know, the various needs. I mean, you got practical things such as a meal after Sunday service. I've never been a part of a church that did that every Sunday. Benevolent needs and the various weight and issues that people are dealing with and we're seeking to try to help. You know what I found out about people? A lot of Christians don't want to get their hands dirty. They too busy warming a pew and then saying goodbye and, see, and saying see you next week and having nothing to do with getting in the trenches with people. But one of the dominating factors that motivated my wife and I to come here was the reality that this church looks out for one another. And may we never lose sight of that. May we never lose sight of that. Now let me just throw, put, you know, let me throw something else out there. Um, I'm not stupid. Because though we look out for one another, there are people that try to manipulate the system. So there is a thing called street smart. There are folk out there who will only come around when they want something from you, but have nothing to do with Jesus. And if they can magnify and be all spiritual and make it sound, this is why, don't let your compassion blind you from ignorance. Look out for one another, yes, but don't be stupid. In the words of my mama, I smell a rat. So here's a challenge for us as we have this challenge that Paul is telling us to consider your position. The challenge simply is this. Every day God wakes us up, allows us to see another day. We need to ask ourselves one question. What can I do to serve others? What can I do to take the spotlight off of me? What can I do to put the spotlight on Christ as I serve my brother, as I serve my sister? One of the clear indications that we need to be serving or identify what I need to serve, identify the place that is the most difficult. Don't choose something easy. And I have found that when we serve others, it's both not easy, but at the same time it's liberating because that's the way of Jesus. Low man wins now this gets even better because he says consider your position but secondly he says consider your mindset look at verse 5 speaking of humility he says have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus a working definition of humility basically is to think of ourselves and our importance less I'm not the greatest thing since sliced bread. Okay? Think of ourselves and our importance less. Romans 12 verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
And so theologically, when Paul says have this mind, it's two implications. On one side of the coin, it's theologically that those who have accepted Jesus Christ, that is, I've turned from my sin, I've embraced Jesus Christ by faith, I now have the virtue of humility. Why? Because of the presence of Jesus in my heart. That's a good, from a positional standpoint, but practically speaking, I have to grow in this. You see, there's a position, but there's a practicality. I have to grow that each and every day that I should look more like Jesus today than January 1st, 2023. That I should be growing more in my capacity and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that this must be my mindset. How many of us got a whole lot of pictures in their phones? All two of you. I mean, it's amazing how many pictures we can, we can accumulate, especially with the digital age. I mean, you just, you're like, man, goodness, I didn't realize any stuff you got to delete, stuff you got to delete. I, I, there's been many times where I went through my phone and I've looked at certain pictures and I got disappointed. Why did I get disappointed? Because I thought that was the perfect picture, but when I look back, the picture was fuzzy. Why was it fuzzy? Simple. Either I was moving, the one holding the camera, or the person in the picture was moving, making the picture distorted. You see what I'm saying? You catching what I'm saying? When Jesus Christ is at the forefront of my mind, the picture of humility will be seen in high definition. But when Jesus Christ is not at the forefront of my mind, my life will be distorted in standard definition. Now, once you got HD, who wants to go back to standard definition? Anybody remember the old school TVs where you had to get up and actually turn the channel? Click, 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 click. And you thought that was, that, that was you know, a little rough and a little bit challenging. But oh, praise the, praise the Lord for the remote ministry. Then praise the Lord for HD ministry. Then praise the Lord for the Blu-ray ministry and whatever else, 1080p, whatever else. Because we all like a clear picture. Far too often we live in a world today where everybody's looking at the church saying, you don't look like your picture. They laugh at us and how we treat one another. They laugh at us on how we judge one another. They laugh at us saying, we're a bunch of this, we're a bunch of that. And you know what? A lot of it is true. Because we got ourselves at the forefront of our minds rather than Jesus at the forefront of our minds. So how do we... Get into this mindset. Let me give you one quick, rich answer. How do we have what Paul says, this mind among ourselves, the, the issue of humility, which is yours, which we already have it. How do we practically live this out? Here's the answer. Fill our minds with the power of scripture and the application of it. Psalm chapter 1 tells us to meditate day and night. The Hebrew word for meditate means to chew and digest. It also means a dull sound. In other words, that the word of God needs to become the soundtrack of my life. It's the melody behind my mind. It's the melody behind my behavior. It's the melody in the, in the, in the BPM beat and rhythm to the pace of my soul and every step that I take with him. The way in which I have this mind, I got to get into God's word. Don't just read about what Jesus did. Read about how he did what he did. Church, we got to cherish God's word. We, we, we got to sit in the scripture. 
And this is why we spend time in God's word together every single week, week in, week out. Every group, every study has to be centered around this because our minds have the capability to drift. Hello, somebody. Nothing just happens. Everything starts here. And whoever has this has my feet. And Paul says, low man wins. Consider your position. Consider your mindset. But number three, and this is, oh, this is some good stuff here. Consider your example. Now, right here really is the epicenter of this whole text. Scholars believe that this is a hymn about Jesus. This hymn was sung in the early church for people to uh, remember the truths that are being proclaimed as the Spirit of God is speaking through the Apostle Paul. Paul opens up and gives us Christ's divine status. I invite you in to this encounter. Notice verse 6. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Who, though he was in the form of God, watch this, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What? His divine status. Who, though he was in the form of God, one version says, being in the form of God. Remember, we learned last week in Hebrews chapter 1 that he's a physical manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus is God's selfie. No one has ever seen God the Father. Jesus makes him known. Emmanuel, God with us. That's our focus here at our church. That's our focus here in this series. But notice Paul says he, does, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now what in the world does this mean? Somebody say, what does this mean, Pastor? It means a few things. Don't ask me to explain this. Just receive this by faith. Jesus, number one, did not need to snatch at equality with God. He already had it. He always had it. It also means that he did not exploit or covet equality with God. In other words, he didn't hold on to his privileges for his own benefit. What a posture of humility here. Translation, he had nothing to prove. I mean, let me put it this way. I run into so many people who live as if they got something to prove to God. Well, let me get my life together before I come to church. Let me get this, let me get, let me get this area together. Let me, let me, let me try to win brownie points with God. And then, then you hear some of these crazy preachers across our land preach a gospel as if you got to win your approval to God. Newsflash, we can't win God's approval. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Works? How much work you got to do to make it good? Well, that's what eternity in hell will communicate. We have nothing to prove. Jesus had nothing to prove. 
What God delights in every human heart is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God loves a heart of surrender and God can do more in your life in a flash than what you can do for yourself in a lifetime. So Jesus had nothing to prove. Therefore, anybody that belongs to him, don't live your life as if you got to prove yourself to God. No, God accepts you in Christ. But don't get it twisted. He accepts me where I am, but he won't leave me as I am. He doesn't coddle because God moves us over to holiness. The flesh and spirit is constantly at war. And so his divine status, he had nothing to prove, but it gets even better because Paul now moves to his selfless denial. Notice this beautiful picture here in verse seven. He says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. One version says slave. Being born in the likeness of men. Notice here, but made himself nothing. But emptying himself. Our English doesn't do it justice. This is not an issue of subtraction. This is an issue of addition. Let me say it again. This is not an issue of subtraction. This is an issue of addition. One Bible scholar puts it this way. Jesus didn't empty his deity. He added on humanity. This was self-imposed. Now watch this. No one forced Jesus to come into this world to die for the sins of the world. Did you hear what I just said? No one forced him to come on a rescue mission for you. He voluntarily did it. You were on his mind before you even came into existence. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Before the worlds were even formed, he already volunteered and said, I'll go before anything was set in motion. So he added on humanity. You see this adding on in the expression, number one, by taking the form of a servant. I, like, I really like the original, the idea of a slave. And slave in Roman culture, you were at the bottom of the toting pole. There was no glitz or glam being a slave. You were among the scum of the earth. Now think about that for a second. Jesus could have came in any way, but he chose to come as a slave. He chose to come as a servant. Think about that. Now, if I'm coming into a situation, I might come in there as Superman with some superpower and flaunt it. But our infinite glorious Savior said, no, I'm going to come as a slave. A biblical example of this. Oh, God help me. If you want to see what it looks like to be more interested in being a slave and servant to the purposes of God, it will be found in Matthew 26. Because in Matthew 26, Jesus is in Gethsemane. Remember, he was sweating blood. He was under stress and he was asking the Lord in his humanity, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be submissive. Not my will, but your will be done. And then Judas comes and he betrays him with a kiss. And a fight breaks out. And don't be too hard on Peter because you probably have been Peter too. Brother takes his sword out. Oh, it's on like popcorn. I'm cutting everybody up. First of all, I'm coming to you, Malchus. He cuts off Malchus's ear. 
Can you imagine the commotion that was happening just across the Kidron Valley in the garden of Gethsemane? And there you have all these soldiers there and Peter was like, oh no, you ain't taking my Lord. And Jesus puts a stop to the commotion and notice what he says in Matthew 26, verse 53 to 54. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You know, I said, how how many is 12 legions? I I did a little study. You know how many 12 legions of angels? 72,000. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled? That it must be so. Translation, I could easily flaunt if I wanted to. I can easily appeal to the one to send me help. But what good is that? I'm going to put my rights on the table. Because y'all very soldiers who are fighting, I'm about to lay down my life for you. And you don't even deserve it. My love is restraining me from taking you out. And I'm voluntarily going to act like a slave to the purposes of God. What a classic, beautiful picture of humility. Jesus clearly refused to use his rights and privileges for his own benefit. That's a servant. By taking the form of a servant, by being, Paul says, in the likeness of men. What does this mean? It simply means that Jesus, number one, was clearly human. He was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Uh, Most of us can't even say that. He's specifically tempted by the devil. The devil's not omnipresent, by the way. He can't read your mind. He ain't everywhere at once. He's not all powerful. It was mano y mano for 40 days. And Jesus beat him up with thus says the Lord. He was tired as a human. He was hungry. He was asleep on a pillow in the middle of a storm. (laughs) He sweated blood in Gethsemane. He experienced all the stress that we would have. So he was really human, but on the other side of the coin, he wasn't, he wasn't like us. He was the son of God. He was perfect. He was flawless. He was without sin. The the ESV study Bible puts it this way. While he had every right to stay comfortably where he was in a position of power, his love drove him to a position of weakness for the sake of sinful mankind. And thus Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What? This is our, this is our Savior. This is our example. And that's why Paul would go on to say in verse 8 and 9, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He experienced the ultimate humiliation. The ultimate humiliation was crucifixion. Do you realize that the word excruciating means out of the cross? He chose to die the most horrific death you can die in that time. Slow, torturous death. Nailed to a tree. A cat of nine tails across his back. 39 lashes. All his bones in his body being disconnected. Hanging there for hours. Breathing, struggling to push up to breathe. He was thinking about you. He was praying for others. He gave up his rights so that you and I can experience the reality of eternity with the Father. The great humiliation. But also the ultimate sacrifice. He chose this kind of death in our place. He made payment for you and for me so that we can have a close relationship with God. See, church, all I want you to see is that Jesus went from the highest position to the lowest known to man for the benefit of others. This is humility. This is our example Low man wins. So as the worship team comes back up and as we get ready to close, I want to I wanna highlight three takeaways from this passage. I've already alluded to them, but let me just give us three takeaways that I pray that this can help us to begin our journey to have this, this, this example of Jesus before us. Three, three, three closing suggestions. You can actually see these in our passage, more specifically in verses seven to eight, seven to eight. The first challenge I would say is this, we must empty. We must empty. Um, None of us has arrived. We all struggle with pride on some level. But we must get up every day with the notion that I have to give up my rights for the benefit of others. Paul would say in other places, I die daily. I give up my rights for the benefit of others. So, Lord, help us to empty ourselves. Second challenge is we must serve. I love this. Jesus served, one says, because he knew he was God. He never lost sight of who he was. He knew his position. He was, he was focused and he served others. Listen, listen, I'm not serving uh, just because. No, we're serving because we know who we are. We know who we are. We know who we belong to. I don't want the glitz or glam. It's not about the platforms. It's about serving. Listen, listen. God loves it when we serve because that's what it's all about. Ministry is not about big buildings and big budgets. Now we do need to be good stewards of it, but ultimately ministry is about people. We serve. We serve. We serve. So we must empty. We must serve. And number three, we must obey. Jesus was obedient all the way through. and He expects us to be obedient all the way through. John 17, 4 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Obeying God 
is humility in action. It's the pathway to fulfilling the purposes of God in a moment in history. God has a purpose for every single person here. And the way in which we unlock that reality, we walk in step with him, we obey him, and he will take care of the rest. But it takes humility to get up every day and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in my life. We must empty, we must serve, we must obey. I have friends who are, who have not only played in the NFL and college ranks, I also have friends who are in law enforcement. Praise God for the noble, good character law enforcement that we have in our land. Hello, somebody. Okay. Now, we realize, I mean, there's always um, error and craziness everywhere. I'm not here to bash, but I will say that I have friends who are detectives, friends who are cops, and praise the Lord for them. And I like watching um, crime shows, the, 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 the reality ones, the real ones. And it's always fascinating when they finally, when they finally have, have chased down a criminal, right? And then, and that criminal is either cornered in a house or in a building or is surrounded by some cars and you hear a cop or a couple cops get out and they got their guns drawn and they pull out the, the microphone and they say something to the effect of, you're surrounded. There's no one to run. You can't hide. You're caught. So we're going to ask you to do a few things. Let us see your hands. So that means you got to drop whatever in your hands. Let us see your hands. And not just that, come out with your hands up. Come out with your hands up. Somebody got it. Come out with your hands up. Ladies and gentlemen, God has cornered us today. You thought you was going to get a little cute word. No, he's cornered us today. And he's asking us to drop whatever else is in our hands. And to come out with our hands up. And the posture of our hands being up really is surrender. It's an old song we just sing. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart, Lord. Speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Does anybody desire to be used of God? Well, it takes humility to come out with our hands up. It takes humility to confess our pride. It takes humility to say, Lord, I need you. So this Christmas season, as it's fastly approaching, Christmas Day is a week from tomorrow. What in the world? I want you to think that baby in a manger is the picture and model of humility. He gave up his rights. For the benefit of you and for me. And our call and our challenge is to follow that same example. 
consider our position, consider our mindset, and consider the greatest example ever, the Lord Jesus. And this is why daily communion with God is so important, because it reminds us our need for him. And so as we get ready to close out and sing, do business with the Lord. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you if you feel comfortable and come up for prayer. If not, that's okay. But we're starting this new thing where we, we really want to engage one another in prayer. We want to engage this congregation more in the things that we know God will bless. So however way you respond, whether you come and pray with the deacon or you just stay where you are, that's okay. Please make sure we respond to what God has said to us. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is a good day. Because by God's goodness, he's allowed you to come today to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And all he would want for you is simply that pull in your soul, that's the spirit of God tugging you. Simply turn from your sin and embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. The Bible says when we embrace him by faith, we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, the Bible tells us that we will be saved. So today's a good day to come to Jesus. And if you're already our follower of Jesus Christ, today's a good day to, to do business with the Lord anyways. So now, Father, we come to you. We thank you. We bless you. Bless you for this perfect Savior, the greatest picture of humility. It's mind-blowing that you would become a man, that you would add on humanity, that you didn't flaunt your power. You could have easily called down 72,000 angels, but you chose not to use that power for that. You were set on a mission that was to give your life for a ransom for many so father I pray right now that we would not think too highly of ourselves because if our savior laid down his life then we too need to lay down our lives for the benefit of others and ultimately lord for your glory be with us now lord as we do business with you in Jesus name we pray and everybody said